classes are online. Outside hangouts are online. And now, graduation. Many are exhausted from Zoom University, so when the announcement of another virtual graduation came out, these two students decided to push back. I'll tell you more about what they're doing to get other seniors involved and why the protests in Russia are hitting closer to home for the Columbia community. Keep listening to hear firsthand what this student did to win top honors in a national retail competition, winning her a $25,000 scholarship. Coming up, hashtag cancel Dr. Seuss has been trending on Twitter for the past week after the announcement that six of his books will no longer be published because of racist images. But what does it mean to be canceled? And has cancel culture gone too far? This is Chronicle Headlines. I'm your host, Paige Barnes. High school and college seniors all around the country are facing the reality of another virtual graduation ceremony. For some, it feels like a robbed milestone. In a December email to current students, President and CEO Kwang Woo Kim announced graduation will be virtual for the second year in a row. This time, however, he said a campus team is organizing special ceremonies dedicated to the class of 2020 and 2021. Now, two students are speaking out to push the college to reconsider virtual graduation plans. Here to talk about the student-led initiative, Commence Anyways, is staff reporter Matus Janik. The two students who are actually starting this student-led initiative, um, their names are Jamila Miller and uh, Nathan Branch, and they're actually both senior PR students at Columbia. Miller is actually 34, and she came to the college right after she graduated high school in 2004, but uh, she, for personal reasons, had to leave, but she returned to the college actually in 2017. So she's one of those non-traditional students who's kind of like revisiting college and, you know, kind of coming back again and, you know, finding her degree and finding her place again. For Branch, it's sort of the same deal, but instead of kind of going to college before, in that situation, what Miller has, uh, Branch is actually just, you know, he started school here at Columbia in 2019. So he's also had that kind of journey where it was like non-traditional. He was from a different background. He's from actually Columbus, Ohio. Those kinds of factors of, you know, they're from different places. They're from different, you know, backgrounds. And the only thing they had to connect on was really their age and, you know, the fact that they're non-traditional. And so during their time at Columbia and their classes for public relations, they sort of started talking about, you know, well, what's this about graduation? Why is graduation only being virtual? You know, all these kind of questions about, you know, why we're paying this much and, you know, why hasn't the school really asked us questions about graduation and what seniors feel? They sort of felt the same kind of sentiment with, between themselves and decided to kind of go forward with this initiative and kind of take it upon themselves to, you know, do what they can to sort of advocate for themselves and advocate for other students. And to clarify, that is the goal with their used hashtag, um, hashtag commencement anyways. Their commence anyways hashtag is uh, just kind of a goal to sort of, you know, get the buzz going and kind of get students talking about this because at first, you know, I feel like students maybe not understand or maybe didn't even see that email at first about virtual commencement and they might just be realizing about this right now. But at the same time, they want to be able to let the college know that, you know, this is happening and they're working towards the figuring this out and trying to, you know, find an option for a hybrid or in-person ceremony. Who helped them and what did this 
professor do for them? The person who helped them that Miller and Branch approached was actually the professor for their social change and communications class. This person is an adjunct faculty member in the communications department and the instructor of social change communications. Uh, his name is Jeremy Barrington. In a way, he wasn't really strongly passionate or he wasn't that passionate about this issue. So he didn't really know it was a problem until Miller and Branch brought it forward to him. You know, once that happened, they started talking about what they can do and sort of what are the next steps. And we kind of see that with the survey and then later on with some of the other things that they're planning. What questions were asked in the survey? The questions in the survey ask whether the student either, you know, what year they are first, whether or not they're interested in an in-person graduation uh, would they be interested in in-person, hybrid, or both, and those sorts of things. And there's also a question in there that kind of is an open box for the student themselves to kind of share their own experiences or what they feel. What are the current stats of the survey as of today, as of Thursday, March 11th? As of today, uh, there are at least or around 257 answers, or I should say respondents to the survey. And out of those respondents, there are 76% seniors. So I think that's circa around 195 or 190. And then what we see forward and kind of just seeing in general is that out of all the opportunities that they have between a virtual commencement and a socially distanced in-person commencement, you know, really a lot of students and a lot of respondents, 75% of them said that they would, you know, both be interested in both options. So in an opportunity to walk and also to have invitees come in on a live stream. How has the college responded to their initiative? The, the college themselves, you know, as we kind of known before, the college has kind of, you know, already planned on a virtual commencement and we've already seen that through emails. So, you know, if you're a student right now and you're planning on graduating this semester, you've probably gotten emails for photos for commencement regalia and things like that. Well, when this initiative started out and really kind of just sending emails out to the college, first uh, Branch and Miller really didn't get any responses back. But later and soon later, uh, Lamberty Ludicus, Associate Vice President of Strategic Communications and External Relations, said the college is aware of, student in, of the student initiative, but they don't have access to large outdoor venues. So they're saying they don't have access to anything, you know, outdoors that would be in the safety precautions for you know, COVID or technically whatever situation we're in down the line. What locations were suggested or considered to host a safe, socially distanced graduation? Some of the locations they were thinking about, and I guess specifically Branch and Miller, when they're looking at Columbia as a whole and, you know, Chicago, I think what they were looking at is, you know, Grant Park is an option. You know, can we use Grant Park? It's outdoors. It's a possibility. And, you know, there might be issues with rain, but, you know, rain versus no rain or rain versus no graduation in person is kind of like, would you want to roll the dice on that or not? But, you know, they were thinking about Grant Park and they're also thinking about Soldier Field and some other locations. But I can say right now that they've already secured or are talking or in the works of a contract or a tentative contract with Soldier Field. Really, they kind of based this off of some other schools. So really, Branch and Miller kind of took ideas or really took examples from other schools, either nationally or locally, on how they're doing commencement. So I guess locally, we can look at Batavia High School, and they're holding graduation in Northern Illinois University's Convocation Center. So basically, they're going to be in their center, and they're going to be borrowing it. And other places like University of Tennessee, Knoxville, or Keene University in New Jersey, both have ceremonies on their football fields, which obviously, you know, Columbia doesn't have a football field. We're not a, a football-centric school. So, you know, we don't have that. 
But you know, there's other options too, like Illinois State University, uh, ISU in Bloomington Normal. They're filming students separately in a mock graduation kind of setting where they can still walk up, get their diploma, still be in their garb, and then you know walk off. Since Miller and Branch have created this contract that is, if correct me if I'm wrong, is outside of what the college is doing with Soldier Field, how do current students, how can they get involved? Students can get involved in a few different ways. So I guess the main way they can do it is by either going to the survey, checking out the GoFundMe link. There's an email that they can email. It's commence anyway. So just like the hashtag, it's C-O-M-M. E-N-C-E-A-N-Y-W-A-Y-S at gmail.com. And they're asking for your full name, the department, your major and minor, and the best email to contact you at. But they're also asking students to kind of go to their GoFundMe page, which is uh, titled actually More Pomp, Less Circumstances. Uh, Students Take Lead. And uh, if you would want to check that out, I would say, uh, you know, look up Jamila Miller. That's J-A-H-M-E-L-A-W, or excuse me, A-H, and last name Miller, M-I-L-L-E-R. And then you'll find it on GoFundMe. And then really you could share, donate, do anything. But really, if I could say one thing or echo one thing that Miller said, you know, they don't really want to force or put students in a situation where they have to pay, but really just get the message out and share is really what they're trying to do. One of my big questions is if it doesn't come to fruition, what happens to that money that is contributed to this graduation at Soldier Field? What would, where does that money go? If they don't make their goal, then obviously those donations go back to those donors. If that goal isn't made, then obviously they won't be able to follow through with that contract. And that's okay because it's a tentative contract. So it's not like something can go back and bite them and something like that. This was purely made just in the case of, you know, like, we're going to try and we're going to try and push for this. Thank you very much, Matus. You can read Matus's full article at columbiachronicle.com. Tens of thousands of protesters have taken to the streets in more than 100 cities in Russia. Although Moscow is nearly 5,000 miles away, a Columbia student and adjunct instructor are reflecting on the anti-government demonstrations. The protests began in January after Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny returned to Moscow from Germany. He was in a Berlin hospital recovering from being poisoned with a nerve agent in August. Navalny accused President Vladimir Putin of being responsible for his poisoning, but the Kremlin denied any involvement in the poisoning. Here to talk about how these protests are hitting closer to home for the Columbia community is staff reporter Amina Sergazina. Columbia has a lot of faculty members as well as students that, you know, either are Russian or speak Russian. And uh, I am part of it myself since I speak Russian and I met at least three faculty members that are from Russia and many, many students. What did your sources share regarding how the protests are affecting their lives? Two of my sources asked for anonymity because they're frequently visiting Russia and regarding this protest, you saw how, you know, violent, um, politics can become when you are not agreeing with them. 
So they were afraid that might affect them and their safety. That's why we granted them anonymity. I think uh, the craziest part was obviously the Mary Smith arrest during the protest. What's weirdly enough, she saw sexism during the protest because when there was police brutality, police only attacked men and didn't touch women, which she thought very weird, but at the same time, lucky. Uh, And she explained to me how she saw a guy getting beat up to the point where like an ambulance had to get him and she never saw him again and she doesn't know what happened to him. The teacher, Jane Doe, uh, mass teacher, she has a lot of family there, but because uh, she's from an older generation, she didn't really had anyone who went to this protest because older generation there tries to stay away from this and tries to agree with the government. But Mary Falatova, um, the Columbia College student, uh, she actually has a lot of friends because they're younger, go to the protest, but they were lucky enough that they didn't encounter police brutality on themselves, but they definitely witnessed a lot of beating there. To make sure that I understand correctly, Jane Doe is a Columbia professor, and then Mary Falatova is a current student at Columbia. So both of them are in the States. Yes, correct. Okay. They're both in states and bo- both in Chicago. Whereas Mary Smith lives in Russia right now and was, when she told you her story, that was from firsthand experience. That's right. She directly was at the protest. She is from Moscow and she lives there currently. Along with your article, I see that Mary Smith provided some courtesy photos. Do you mind describing them to our listeners, what they depict? On the first picture, we can see police, uh, and it's an FSB group. It uh, means Federal Security Service, and they're near Leningradsky Railway. And this is where like the protests were. It's like a big railway station for a fast, train between um, between the cities in Russia and it's just a big row of policemen you can see and those policemen are the one who you know participate in police brutality. The second picture we can see people you know on the January 23rd when the mass protest just started and you can see they are so close together. And I also see that there are a lot of young people among them. And I would say the majority of them. The expert that you talked to, Ronald Sonny, a professor of political science and history at the University of Chicago, said that these protests are different from past movements in Russia. Why did he say that? What information did you get from him? He said that what makes this protest different is Navalny himself, because uh, Russian people no, they united over him because of his charisma, the way he presented himself, and even the way he uses internet. No, he has a TikTok, he has YouTube channel. And right now, even when he's in custody, um, his team is posting official like memes on his official account about him being arrested. So he's on the same page with the youth. As of right now, where do the protesters stand and where does Putin and his administration stand? Like what's, um, I guess, the next step? Would he resign? Uh, Well, right now, 
and even like during the protest, the Russian government did not take it good. Um, it started to just do a propaganda machine through the news sources. They had a report about uh, Navalny's like alleged big luxury house in Germany uh, where he stayed when he was feeling sick after being poisoned and they presented it as if it was a luxury but people clearly saw that it was just a regular house in Germany uh, and they tried to portray him as you know he's just a youtuber that no one cares about and they don't really plan to resign and Putin definitely does not plan to resign uh, and you know he's even saying know that he doesn't use internet and he's kind of like proud that he doesn't use it at all as my expert said that because they arrested him it gives people another reason why to protest and ronald sunny said it's gonna unite people because uh, navalny is arrested because they see that this thing can happen and they don't want to be next Thank you very much. To read Amina's full article, you can go to columbiachronicle.com. always been drawn to the visual message that a mood board can convey. So with that in mind, here's my personal brand, mood board. Now my mood board is a bit all over, but one theme remains constant. In each of these experiences, I was very apprehensive, but with a leap of faith and saying yes, I was able to develop my path and gain clarity on what I want out of life. I still have career aspirations to become a stylist, but I am reminded on a daily basis that this decision doesn't... That was senior fashion merchandising major Amaya Sims. She is speaking about a mood board she created for a scholarship application. Little did Sims know that she would be selected as the top recipient of the 2021 National Retail Federation Foundation's Next Generation Scholarship. She was awarded $25,000 as the top winner, while four other finalists were awarded $10,000. The NRF Foundation is a philanthropic organization that represents many retail chains in America and educates people like Sims who want to create their own retail brand. I sat down with Sims to talk about what it means to be part of the next generation and her reaction to learning she had won. They sent out an email because it it was going to be announced in this pre-recorded session. However, in order to have it in the session, we had to record it a month in advance. So they sent the email very out of the blue, but of course I'm dropping everything for this moment. Um, so they said, we're gonna schedule it. They emailed us on like a Tuesday and then the whole announcement recording was gonna be on that Friday. I had work on that Friday, but I was just like, I'm gonna make it work no matter what happens. So I was just like, yes, I'll be there without even seeing like my schedule or what it was. So I worked that like a whole eight hour shift, a full day. And I had to move around my lunch to make it work. But I went into our break room closet 
changed into my fancy blouse and went up against the white wall, put up a little, <laughs> I took one of our chairs in the break room and a stool and made up like a whole setup so I could be seen and like have good lighting and everything. Um, and I wrote a note on the door saying, everyone be quiet. <laughs> and then when they announced it, I was very composed, but as soon as like it was over, I was screaming, yelling, and someone knocked on the door. They're like, you're saying be quiet, but you're here yelling. Like, what is going on? And I was just like, um, nothing. <laughs> um, so that was the story of it. Um, but it was a very exciting moment, very surreal. I called my mom and my teacher right after crying. And it was just a great, very like I always say, surreal. I still can't believe, you know, that it actually happened and the way that it happened, how everything worked out, but I wouldn't trade it for the world. What did they have to say? So your mom, I'm sure she was really elated for you. And then the teacher, who did you call and what did they say? My mom, she, she was just like, I already knew you won. Like you, of course she was, you know, overly supportive, but she was like, we're going to celebrate. What do you want to eat? And then when I came home from work, they had balloons and gifts and like all this like orders of food and everything like that it was like she made it such a real like monumentous event so it was great um and then my teacher um Dana Connell she is over scholarships in the fashion department um she was the one who actually encouraged me to do the scholarship in the beginning and I called her immediately after I got off the phone with my mom. And she, at first I thought she was joking, said the same thing that I already, she was just like, I already knew that you had won. Like you're going to do amazing things and all this, you know, very encouraging. And it was just it, very warming, you know, being encouraged by your teacher in the beginning to do something, but then having her all the way, every step of the way, long nights, emails, Zoom calls. It was just great. And I knew that I wanted my mom to be the first one to call, but I also wanted her to be right there um, to call as well. So just an overwhelming amount of support. What did you have to do to apply? So this one was, this scholarship was actually a lot of rounds. I think it was three or four rounds or something like that. The first round is very simple, just your resume, um, a recommendation letter, and then you have to write a three-page essay as well as a personal brand video. The essay was about innovations within the retail industry, um, talking about a brand that you've identified as someone that was maybe struggling or needing to elevate their level of customer service to align with some of the cool things that we see different companies doing to attract new customers, to raise sales and things like that. Um, and I chose JCPenney, a brand that I personally grew up with. And I know that they've had a lot of struggles with different store closures and things like that. So I was trying to incorporate some of the high level technology things that I've seen um, within the retail industry. Specifically, I learned about a lot in Future of Retail, um, which is a class here at Columbia. So that was the perfect combination for the essay. Uh, and then for my personal brand video, they really just want to know about you your career? What have you done so far? What do you plan to do in the future? What are your hobbies? Anything volunteering? How do you help your community? And then why would you want to be a part of the Next Generation Scholarship? Um, but they want you to do that in some type of creative way. And of course, at the time when this was created, that was like the peak of COVID. There was nowhere to go. You couldn't film anything. So what I chose to do was create kind of like a personal brand mood board. That's what I called it. Um, so I talked showed my face for a little bit but then the max of the video was kind of like 
me putting together a virtual mood board of different clips of my, you know, photographs from my life and things at work and stuff like that. So it was kind of like a voiceover and I would click and drag, very scrapbooky. Um, but it was, that was a wonderful experience. And I just thought of it very last minute. From the time you submitted your application to when you learned you had won, how long was that? That was a very long process. So the initial application, they're open now, by the way, but they are due in April. So they're in due in April this year, and they were also due in April 2020 last year. Um, and the entire process, you do that first round, as I just mentioned, um, and then you go into a case study, you do a couple interviews there. They announce the semifinalists and the finalists, and then you do another interview. And then normally the announcement is in January, but our pre-recorded session was in December. So I knew in January, but for about a month, I couldn't say anything until January. You're a senior this year, and I want to know, what are your post-graduation plans? This is the dread question of every senior, right? <laughs> for um, post-graduation, currently I'm a stylist operation intern for Garmenteer, which is a local um, tech startup company, well, local fashion tech startup company with the focus on styling and retail. So they've really opened my eyes to the styling industry. I've always known that styling was a love of mine. And when I started the scholarship, I also started my styling company. So they've really been able to teach me a lot in that and elevate, you know, what I want to do and just open my eyes to like what is truly involved in styling. Everyone thinks it's such a glamorous job, but it's very rigorous actually. And you, you know, you really get to that entrepreneurship core. So I've loved that. And I'm really excited to continue that once I graduate um, my styling business and expand that and take the skills that I've learned here and apply that there. Um, and then also I'm just, I'm currently, I'm a wardrobe stylist for a movie that's being filmed on campus. So that has been really fun. So I'm really excited to just, you know, showcase my skills outside of Columbia um, and go out into the real world and then just explore and see what is happening and what it has to offer. What does this scholarship mean to you? I mean, outside of the money, that's wonderful, but outside of the money, what does that, what does it mean to you? This scholarship, you know, the title next generation is a very heavy one. And there's a lot behind it that to me that, I don't know, it's just very kind of not so much pressure, but it's it's a weighted title to have. Um, so with that, I'm truly honored. And I the biggest impact that I want to have, this was actually one of the interview questions that they had asked. I just want to be able to be uh, an example, a voice for other young students, young professionals, young people who look like me, who may not think that they, you know, have a seat at the table in the industry, whatever industry that may be. And just to encourage them, you know, be some type of motivation that know you can do whatever you set your mind to as cheesy as it sounds, the opportunities are literally at your fingertips. And when they arise such as this, you should be willing and ready to say yes to it, go for it, don't be afraid of it. You know, whatever happens along the way, anything that trips you up, that there's a lesson to be learned in that. Um, and if my story can be that for at least one person, I think that that'll be my impact. Thank you so much, Amaya. You can read the full article written by staff reporter Aaron Throkeld at columbiachronicle.com.
J.K. Rowling has been canceled for her comments against trans people. Paw Patrol, a kid's cartoon show about cops, was canceled following the Black Lives Matter protests. And talk show host Ellen DeGeneres was canceled for creating a toxic work environment. Cancel culture has gone farther than just a disagreement. It has become an enigma on social media in the form of group shaming. While it's important to hold people accountable for their actions, somewhat to cancel, cancel culture. Joining me now is opinions editor Isaiah Colbert to talk with me about why people should think twice before canceling someone or something when change happens. Cancel culture is basically a new age version of just consequences, really, if I'm being completely honest. Um, it's pretty much whenever like something like negative or bad happens um, when it comes to a person, either in popular media or like celebrity or just the like, where people don't really agree with whatever their take is or whatever their opinion was. Canceling someone can have serious implications when it comes to um, like whether people are fired or they are blackballed in the industry, which actually leads me to my next question is about what the most recent case of cancel culture is and how it involves Dr. Seuss. Um, and to give people context, actually, that the Chicago Public Library just pulled six of Dr. Seuss's books over racist and insensitive imagery. Do you agree with what bookstores have been doing and even Joe Biden has done to take action against some of the racist imagery in Dr. Seuss's books? I like, it's one of those things where it's like, it's not high on my totem pole of like, yes, this is the liberation that I need, the justification I need to be seen, to like be appreciated. Like, yes, thank God that they removed the Dr. Seuss books. It really means a lot to me that my country cares about me, that they would go to those lengths to do those things. But um, it's definitely something that will have a better effect for the people who are actually reading those things. Thank you very much. To read Isaiah's full opinion piece, you can go to ColumbiaChronicle.com. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Chronicle Headlines. You can check out all these stories and more at ColumbiaChronicle.com. For additional coverage, we are at CC Chronicle on Instagram and Twitter. Chronicle Headlines is made possible by a collaboration with the staff of the Columbia Chronicle and WCRX-FM, Chicago's Underground. Under the leadership of Suzanne McBride, Chair of the Communication Department at Columbia College Chicago. Until next time, I'm your host, Paige Barnes.